362 overtakes for 40 league changes, 15 different race leaders, and some super glue on a racing track. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. And only one bra. Mitch bra! Welcome back to episode 436 of Motorsport 101. I am your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and I am currently living because Mitch Evans is back in the title race. You thought I'd yeed my last bruh, and yet we still continue to take dubs up in here. I am living. We are we are going to chase down Pascal Verline, and we're going to go win this title if we have to get through Nick Cassidy because Nick Cassidy is going to be a serious frigging problem. Anyway, yeah, I, I was mean- about to say, like, hold on, hold on a second, partner. He's not even the greatest threat for New Zealand that Pascal Verline has now. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison, and welcome to back to the Motorsport 101 podcast. And we're talking about Formula E in Berlin, in case you couldn't tell already, um, from that uh, enthusiastic intro, uh, to say the least. But uh, with me, as we go around the horn this time around, first up, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. I had an interesting weekend of uh, enjoying Formula E because uh, both times on every race morning, because it comes on at like, it came out at like nine in the morning, both days, Saturday and Sunday, the race was. I wake up and both days I realize, ah, Formula E's on. You can go tune in on this and like, hang on a minute. This is this is actually a lot's happening here. Almost too much is happening. Yeah, we weren't joking in the intro. There really was 362 overtakes across these two races in Formula E, 119 race one and 172 in race two. Race one broke records. We'll get into some of that in a minute. Um, but we, we, it, it was genuinely hard to watch at times, only because it really did feel like we were watching a bumper car race. Um, it was incredible um, in the best and the worst, and mostly in the best sense, actually, to be honest with you. I can't say it was worse because I actually really enjoyed it. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But also on the show, we have Cam Buckley. How's it going, Cam? You know, um, it, it, it just feels like maybe maybe Pascal Verline should qualify the goddamn car for once. <laughs> Look, if Matsy Gunther can come from 21st to 6th in the race, like, I mean, he could come back from middle of the grid, right? That's sustainable, right? Well, I mean, DaCosta <laughs> was plus 14 when he got murked in the first race. Yeah, had, 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 his, had his mustache shaved off by Jake Dennis, who just lost control of his car completely. Um, again, Kinshasa! More... <laughs> 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 oh, God. Real ones know when that move was called the Bomaye. Oh, let's yeah. Let's know when Shinsuke Nakamura was on the main event of WWE programming. <laughs> my, my, my tears, they, 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 they flow. Um, yes. So we'll be talking all about Formula E in Berlin. We'll mention just how crazy the action was, the state of the championship race, because it looks very different um, compared to what it looked like before we got to Berlin, because obviously this was a doubleheader weekend. Twice the twice the prizes, double the fun. Um, <laughs> so that's that's crazy. The quality of the racing, we'll talk a little bit about some of the weird oddities of the race, because we've not even mentioned the fact that 
Apt Cooper had a front row lockout. Whoa, what? Yo, I know I got to be off some of that stuff that a certain former Speed Channel F1 pit reporter is on. <laughs> oh, come on, man. That was so out of pocket for you, RJ. What's wrong with you? That was uncalled for. <laughs> Although, uh, uh, fully correct. I mean, it did feel it, it, it did feel like a drug that, trip that watching big, that them. Big, so, the, that the, big Senator Armstrong, my sources, I made it up vibes. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The, I guess they use nanomachines in qualifying. But, Who uh, knew? It's also quite telling that their qualifying on pole was over half of their points haul. Yeah, more or less. But they did score some points in race two. We'll get into some of that as well. And in Vision Beef, kind of, sort of. It was re- like, if you haven't seen the Nick Cassidy radio message um, from the morning's practice session on, on, on Sunday when they got to race two, go out of your way to find it. It is one of the most bizarre radio rants. I think you will ever hear in your life. Like, no, no joke. We'll talk a little bit about that as well because we had to joke about some of that too. Um, it was, it was, it was wild. There's a, there was a lot of little things that went on in in Berlin that was certainly worth talking about. And we got to talk about an environmental protest because they're always fun, right? This yeah. one didn't even have like orange uh, powder involved. No, no snooker tables were affected by the nature of this protest. I can confirm. Um, <laughs> you know who you know who had a snooker table that felt really involved in this, and I know we're dating ourselves because we're recording this as we're getting down to nut cutting time in the championships. Ronnie could have used a, a different table. He lost, dude, lost seven frames in a row to throw yeah. away a tournament that he was odds on to win. That's why everybody loves this dude. He's oh, yeah. just like. He'll, he'll he'll look like he has absolutely no business of winning it, and he'll win the whole thing. He'll look like he has every business winning it, and he won't. Yeah, that's that. I've said it in bookies in the time I was working in them full time for years. Never, ever, ever bet actual money on Ronnie O'Sullivan because you just don't fucking know what you're gonna get ever. Um, and this was another classic example. Who had Ronnie losing seven on the spin to get knocked out by Luca Bruchel? Fun times. The once looking like the failed, one of the many failed prospects of the sport. Uh, yeah, weird time. Weird time. As Jason says in our chat, he was the table. Um, <laughs> I, I like the reference. Very good. Um, so we'll talk all about that and more over the next 45 minutes or so. But a quick roundup of where you can find us real quick. Motorsport101.com. I actually did do a race review for this very weekend. I don't normally tap into Formula E, but there was so much to talk about. I felt like it was worth writing about. So yeah, if you want to see an exclusive Dre's race review, some for some added thoughts from yours truly on Berlin, check out the website if you haven't already. Um, and all of that will be on there. Of course, all our social media is on there as well. Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. Our Instagram page, Motorsport 101 Pod. If you want to find our personal handles as us wonderful hosts, you can at uh, Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all our episodes before they go live to the public. You can upgrade to the $10 level where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, like Jason is in our chat right now. Hi, Jason. Thanks for listening in, buddy. So with all that in mind, done and dusted, out of the way, let's talk some Tempelhof Knights. Formula E in Berlin.
Yeah, you won't get any of this shit in the new airport. That that sanitized garbage, get out of here with that. Tempelhof is the only place where you have Formula E action like this. It's the most tenured track in serious history. We had two more awesome races in Berlin, and both of them went the way of cars powered by Jaguar I-Pace powertrains. In race one, we had 190 overtakes, as we mentioned, as Mitch Brown wanted a one-two finish for Jaguar. Their first one-two finish as a Formula E factory team, immediately blowing anything that they achieved as a Formula One constructor out of the water. Yes, I realize where the bar sits. The the, the, the bar. (laughs) Subterranean. Mariana's Trench. Earth's Mantle. How far deep do you want me to go? Uh, <laughs> it's lower than Toyota's return on investment for their F1 program. Oof. <laughs> Massey Gunther finished in third, and that was Maserati's first podium since taking over what was Venturi Racing. Their first single-seater podium as a constructor since 1953? God, if King was here, he'd be telling us all about that shit. The golden oh, yeah. ages. We had nine different leaders. We had 23 lead changes, both Formula E single race records. And then we did it all again in race two, where title contender Nick Cassidy decided to attack the front rather than sit behind, pulling off a triple overtake through a pack of traffic en route to taking the lead and staying at the front. 172 more overtakes later, he would win a narrow one over Jake Tennis, getting his first points in five races in second, and John Eric Fern in third for DS Penske, 24 hours after uh, getting knocked out of race one and what was a pretty crummy race one for DS Penske, but better in race two, I will say. But he got he, he got lots of it. Uh, it's it's it's, yeah. it's a it's a common occurrence. Uh, please see your doctor if getting lots of it is right for you. Uh, well, we're whoa. <laughs> uh, well, well, I say it was not even the worst instance of a DS Penske car getting uh, getting shoved out of the way uh, this week. Did I read this right? That Dan Tickham actually led laps. He did. He did. Dan, T- Dan Tickham got a hell of a start, went round the outside, and actually led several laps in race one. And then the field decided, nah, fuck this for a laugh. Um, <laughs> and sent him back down the order again, and which led him to an incident where he was side-by-side through turn two with Stoffel Van Dorn on his outside. And I've watched the footage back. Stoffel is alongside Tictum for a good five seconds. Tictum claims he never saw him, pushed Tictum into the outside, pushed Van Dorn into the outside wall, wrecked both of their cars, and Tictum got a five-place grid penalty for race two. Uh, it happens sometimes, but probably we're halfway through this. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Dre, we're halfway through the season. Mm. Uh, this weekend, Porsche at their home race as the last, the big German manufacturers still with factory involvement in sport. Uh, they were expected to have a good weekend. They had a good, but not a great weekend. They only got one car on the podium out of four in two races so eight opportunities, only one podium, only one top five finish. Both of the wins came for Jaguar-powered cars. Jaguar had an awesome weekend. Dre, are the German brand in genuine trouble? Well, <clears throat> they're still looking decent in the constructors' race. They're still leading that, but they're only their gap is reduced. It's only 15 now um, because Envision outpointed them by 26 
off the back of the Berlin weekend and Jaggy was coming up quick uh, behind them because they took 55 points out of Berlin compared to Envision's 50 and Porsche's 24. Um, that's some quick math there for you folks. But on a, on a driver's standpoint as well, the, the last five races, and I used the last five races because that was after we got through the night rounds in the Diria double. Um, I, where we, me and Cam, we sat down, we, we put arms around each other and we thrashed out that, Hey, maybe things will change once we get out of the night racing and things have changed to a degree. Um, there's no getting around it. In the last five rounds since Hyderabad, Nick Cassidy has outscored Pascal Verlein 86 to 32. This yeah. is not sustainable for Pascal no. Verlein. And and it's not even so it's it's not so much on the Porsche car side of things because in race trend they're still excellent. I mean, one of those races was a DaCosta win. Mm. DaCosta was going to be hunting for a podium in race one until, well, a wild Jake Dennis appeared backwards into his front wing. Didn't help. right into him. Um, but they're, Pascal really needs to do a better job in qualifying. And both he and DaCosta, the factory Porsches, have been consistently very poor in qualifying and consistently incredible in race trim. Um, yeah. And it's clear that the Porsche can qualify because Jake Dennis has been qualifying it just fine. But he hasn't scored in multiple races. Yeah, that second place he got in race two was his first points of any kind for five rounds. Talk about unsustainable. I mean, he was leading the championship. He was second by a mile. Yeah, they behind like Pascal only uh, what two races ago. Yeah, uh, the thing is though is that like after the first three rounds, Verline and Dennis had like fifty points on the field because everybody else was tripping over each other, and now since then. Cassidy's been the informed man on the whole series. Jev's put together some really strong results. Um, Dennis has sunk down the order because he just could not get any points going. He couldn't Mid finish a race for about yeah. a month. Evans went back to back um, in Sao Paulo and then in Berlin. Even DaCosta and, and Bird have had some decent results scattered amongst a couple of donuts here and there to the point where the top six are now covered by 32 points. We've yeah. actually got a title fight again here, folks. Oh, yeah. And again, it's not going to matter how good the Porsche is in race trim uh, if they keep giving themselves so much to do and the actual race comes around. We know Pascal Verlein can pass some freaking cars now. He's now, not have to. the problem. He used to be able to qualify, but he couldn't pass any cars. Now he can pass all of the cars, but he hasn't been able to qualify. And when you're coming from that far back, you're stretching the capabilities of Porsche's powertrain. We all know it's still an excellent powertrain. And yeah, their, I don't their think... energy usage is still, at worst, joint best in the field. But, but when you're coming back from 16th, you need to use the extra energy to get past people. Exactly. And, and you can't be as effective with your usage if you're having to burn your excess trying to pass cars. And... You know, I think he was a little conservative in race two, but Verlein led in race two at, at certain points. He had opportunities, but like I, I, I think maybe Verlein's being a bit conservative again. I don't know whether it's he's starting to think about the title fight a little bit more, and maybe that's led to him making some business decisions. Um, because if you remember race one, Stoffel Van Dorn did exactly that off the start. <laughs> you might remember seeing that way that we were looking at a four wide into turn one and then Van Dorn was like, nope, I'm not having this. <laughs> yeah. 
Let me let me back out of it. But so yeah, you get and Jason asks in the chat is how much is related to temperature. I don't think Porsche has lost anything from temperature. And again, we know the car can qualify because Jake Dennis has been able to qualify it. Mm. Um, Andre Lauder can't qualify or race worth a damn in this series at this point. But cooked. The other two, you know, we all three of the others have had wins and emphatic wins at that. Yeah. Um, it's Jaguar has gotten stronger relatively. But the difference is that Evans and Bird have generally been doing their jobs in qualifying. Yeah, and they've just they've just generally been more consistent, and they're punching up with higher results. Um, Verline's not touched a podium since we had the night races and the first three rounds of the year, so it, it's it's not ideal. I mean, at the, at the going rate, who do you think wins the championship now? This is not like an official, like, let's change our preseason pick None. sort of thing. Oh, no, we actually should, given that DS powertrains catfish. <laughs> we, we, I, I, I would love to and just pretend that season preview never happened, but it was a very <laughs> good show, and I can't, I can't, I can't do Sasha dirty like that. Um, but right now, Cassidy's the, Cassidy's the hot hand. Cassidy's been on fire since the night races, and like, Second in Hyderabad, third in Cape Town, second in Sao Paulo, fifth, and the win in Berlin. He's only yeah, getting better. Yeah, mm-hmm. like w- Nick Cassidy is starting to show the potential that RJ alluded to when he first got to this series. It's starting to come together for for Cassidy now, and he, everything he, looks- he has stepped into, he has won it pretty much. Yeah, and. Uh, you look at that with Cassidy's odds. Uh, I mean, we didn't even mention this. Pascal Verlein's last five qualifying sessions, 9th, 6th, 15th, 15th, and 6th. He's not gotten into the second round of a duel since the night races. Um, it's a problem. It is a problem. And like I said, the cost has been sloppy on occasions too. Not all of it has been on the Costa's fault, but you still got moments like Sao Paulo. That was a race I think the Costa could have won and missed out. Um, and ended up going wide, having to stop on track because of that rule regarding the opening chicane, and then yeah. settled both, for both a midfield have left spot. Big points on the table in these last five races. Yeah, they have. And Cassidy is just collecting points. He's just shoveling them at the moment. Every single round, he's just up in the pressure. And now he's only four points behind Verline for the championship lead. With and look. Jeff is right there. Like, Jeff is, is is still here. Yeah, hold on a second. Before we pump the brakes on DS Powertrains catfishing us, there is one guy who is still third in the championship with one of those things. Did yeah. any of us pick Jeff? I don't I d- think we did. I don't think we did. I'm, Jason's listening in. I'm sure he'll pull up the table in a minute. The, the convenience of Jason being here is very useful. Yeah, no, my, no the- I, I know for a fact we didn't. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I didn't. No, yeah, I'm, looking, so- I'm looking at the table right now. We we did not. No. I, so there you go. <laughs> I just thought Stoffel Van Dorn was going to be consistent and carry this forward and not get pinched in the wall by Dan Tictum. I thought Maserati wasn't going to suck ass. No, um, but they, hey, they got their first podium this weekend, so good for them. <laughs> Maxi Gunther, the championship is still on! We can still oh, no. win this Maxi Gunther. I'm assuming it came back from injury, right? That's the reason why we haven't seen him all year, right? Right, right, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, God. S- somebody pull out a rescue beacon or... Oh, apparently I did pick Jeff. Huh. According to uh, Jason. Got you, smut mother... <laughs> there's still hope <laughs> there's still some hope here give, give me 50 cc's of copium stats um but uh, yeah i mean 
That was the first Maserati podium, and Max Gunther stole Sebastian Bremi's lunch money going over the line, which I think actually started... I, I think that was the moment that started some of the Cassidy beef. I'll talk about that in a minute and a little bit later on as well, because I think that was very intriguing how we got to that point. But... Yeah, Mitch Bra happened. Nick Cassidy happened. New Zealand is on the is on the march. Um, it's it's looking like a championship fight again. And uh, yeah, Pascal needs to step it up and quick. Otherwise, he's going to get bottled up because the chasing pack is coming quickly. It, it is going to be an issue because, like, at the moment, like the next seven dudes behind him in the championship have all had highlight real moments, which makes you think if they can get on a run. They could, they might be able to close him in. Buem, even Buemi, like, probably should have won race one. It was right in the mix for race one, and he was not happy about having to settle um, for, 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 for for finishing off the podium in the end. Well, then that begs the question: Which one are, is one of them going to go on a run, or are they all going to be beating the shit out of each other to the point where they're all taking points off of one another, including I, Pascal? I want all-out war, Monaco. Yeah, which is next. Oh, baby. That's going to be fun. The I mean, real Monaco Grand Prix is next. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's going to be fun. 100%. So we got to talk about some of the racing in general. Because, gentlemen, we, we watched both of these races. And my word, this was intense. It was like... It was just a pair of, like, public lobby Gran Turismo 5 karting runs. <laughs> where it's just total mayhem. So many overtakes, so much wheel-to-wheel -wheel action. Um, oh, attack modes. People on attack modes, passing people down the straights. This track just produces all kinds of wheel-to-wheel -wheel action with these cars. Right. It's, it's This was so good. And, like, you had the variants of, of cars choosing where and when they wanted to regen... I mean, some of the records that got broken, most Formula E overtakes in a single race. That was race one in Berlin. There was 190 overtakes. There was nine different race leaders, which had never happened in Formula E history. So nearly half the field led, a race, led at least a lap. And there was also 23 lead changes in general in a 43-lap race. Normal. Which, which is incredible. I mean, that, that means there was a lead change more than one every two laps. That's incredible on average. That is ridiculous. Regens, deep passes. I mean, Berlin, it's the longest tenure track left on the Formula E calendar for good reason. It produces consistently great racing. And we talked about it. Um, we talked about it um, in, in Temple Hoff Nights and our special on YouTube and, and other Formula E shows because Berlin is such a blank canvas. It's it's so good and suits what the series is trying to do with its racecraft, and it works. And it's been the general... I mean, I said it in my race review on the website, and I'll say it again here. Of all the series we cover on this show, and it's fourth all-time, we dabble in a bunch of others part-time now as well. I don't think one any of the other big three we cover, or, other, or members of the big four, I should say, really, is producing racing as good as this at the moment. Since Hyderabad, Formula E has been on fire. Not consistently. Um, I mean, IndyCar's had flashes, but it's also had some wretched racing. Um, F1? No. Eh. 
No, just no, generally. I mean, Mid. great racing, unless you like racing for the lead, in which there is nothing here for you. <laughs> um, and uh, MotoGP has more or less devolved into the worst of what Formula One had to offer um, in terms of you know bike-to-bike racing in 21 and 22. MotoGP is in a weird place where its sprint format has now probably exposed all the issues of its series, and now the sprints are better than the Grand Prix. That's a weird place to be in right now. Is that fair to say? The sprints have been better than the GPs? I don't think you're wrong. That that is something that I think we need to cover in more detail at some point. Oh, definitely more. I think we we got her F this weekend, so we'll definitely address it then. Um, We got Baku next weekend. Oh, Oh, yeah. No. But, uh... But uh, I was gonna, I was gonna come here and uh, just uh, chime in. It's just artificial lift and coast peloton racing where the overtakes out of don't his mouth matter. If he Look. does not back out of that microphone right now, <laughs> sorry, is this better? I, I, have to, I have to use my stage voice here to just like express my contempt for like you know it's. It's the it's the other guy that used to be on Top Gear leading the charge that like all these for sevens and, and Tiffany Dell, but it's just oh. like look, man, this is part of the terms of engagement of Formula E. I don't know what to tell you. Sure, everyone would love it if these dudes could push from lights to flag and overtake that way rather than the overtakes coming as a result of people lifting and coasting. 50 meters early, 100 meters earlier. But that's a skill unto itself. And while a lot of these passes were very, very easy, I can't say I dislike it more than can, your can average. I just, can I just step in here for a moment? Because, yeah. look, what I will say is that FE did have the problem of being over-artificial. It did, with its qualifying format that was much talked about on this show, mm. just sowing chaos by design. And with the fan boost that mattered, but didn't really matter, but it still left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. How is managing, how is managing hybrid, or sorry, in this case, they are not hybrids. How is managing electricity any different from managing your hybrid system in an LMP1? Pretty much. Or managing your brakes in an endurance race, or um, trying to not blow your engine up by overspooling your turbo. I can't uh, say I just... it's a qualifying mode or or indeed just any car management at all. Car management is part of racing. Alan Prost made a career out of it. And we, and we hated him for that shit. And we hated say, him for it. I can't say I dislike what I saw more than, you know, your average NASCAR super speedway pack race. Something that I grew up on and loved when I was younger. And now whenever I watch a race at Daytona or Talladega or now Atlanta, I just feel like it invites the worst impulses of drivers to come out and cause a multi-car pileup on the regular at any given moment. I am in my feelings about Ryan Bailey and Bubba Wallace taking one another out, of oh. each other out at the end of Talladega. Oh. I, I love me some Bubba Wallace, but... When's he going to learn? I can't um, say I just like this more than the DRS assisted overtakes in an F1 race. RJ, you're the guy that evangelizes for a series that gives weight handicaps to teams for punish them for winning. Okay, maybe I'm not, maybe I just like a little bit of sports entertainment in my motorsport. I don't know what to tell you. Well, it's their car management and indeed energy management, whether it, look, 
we watch everyone in every series be put in a position where, you know what? You got to make a fuel number. I know you want to push right now. You got to make a fuel number. It's part of motorsport. And what I How say, you win yeah. don't matter. It's that you won. And what, what I would say in response to all that is, is that, yeah, management is a critical part of motorsport. It always has been from the very start. Um, in in no, every discipline. It, it's just people like the psychological notion of going all out or going flat out because it makes people feel better about what they're watching. It's a, it's a, it's a placebo effect. I've said this for many, many years. Like, Formula E is this is exactly what Formula E was aiming for, and it's and it's proving successful. This 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 is working. Gen three has generally for on track action been excellent so far. Just like the just like the end of Gen two was. Uh, like well, th- full disclosure, I mean, as you guys know, obviously, uh, we debated continuing covering the series on this podcast. We did because. Gen two in its last couple of years was just leaving a bad taste in our mouths. Yeah, we didn't enjoy it. Yeah, it, it wasn't fulfilling to watch. Gen three has put on as good a racing product as any other series in this world right now in the year 2023. The cars can race. The cars pass the eye test when they're racing wheel to wheel. They're fast. We're actually to the point where a lot of tracks are the now the limiting factor because yeah. the series and how it's structured and the cars are no longer the limit. We're going to need to build a bigger Templehof Airport street circuit. And that's another thing about this track. This track has worked brilliantly across multiple generations of car. Agreed. And that's the testament to a great track, regardless of the series. It's amazing what just using a disused airfield runway could do. You know, I heard there was an IndyCar race at a disused airfield one time. Uh, But they would never come back to it. And they're about to tear, tear down that airport in Cleveland. Yeah, look, the, the 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 racing is excellent. The racing has been excellent. It's I, I said it again. I think it's it's I think it's the best racing series of the major players in the world right now. I I really genuinely do think that. And on a side note, I'm kind of glad, low key, that the fast charging that was meant to be coming in for this season is not coming in, because and look, for me. The regen is what makes this series so intriguing and interesting, not the outright speed. Like, the key part of, of Formula E's racing is energy conservation and usage. Managing that, knowing when to push, knowing when to save your battery, and not when Formula E descends into sprint race fuckery. So the fact that we that the, the series was thinking about going down this whole route of fast charging and bringing back mandatory pit stops, I thought was bull jive. Because it was going to turn races into sprints again, and it's not. It shouldn't be about that. Like it should be about the regen and energy management, because that's what makes races so fun. Look at Nick Cassidy's title campaign. How many times was he caught out in second place, unable to challenge for the win, despite being on on more energy than the people in front of him? It happened too often. Yeah, and I've watched enough of Nick Cassidy in more traditional categories to know that that. Those skills of being able to push flat out are not something that he has forgotten. No. And, no. And I love the fact that in race two, he didn't just settle for second like he's done on a couple of times before and tried to save his energy. No, he attacked past five cars in, 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 in the space of two laps, got to the front, bullied Jake Dennis into burning his battery instead, 
and ended up winning because that means Cassidy's learned something. He's not just stuck behind and tried to wait until the last lap for his opportunity. He's actually taken the race by the scruff of the neck and it won him the race. It was brilliant. We've seen it a few times this year where it was something that Porsche did early on where they would just go and make everyone else use more energy. Yeah. Um, Cassidy did something different enough pace where they can use their regen. They can use their, uh, their conservation and not have to burn as much energy to get the same pace. Exactly. At the end of the day, no matter how you beat someone, what matters is that you're beating them. Exactly. And like I said, Cassidy in that regard has, has learned. He, he's adapted and he's been brilliant for that very reason. And part of that is because of the quality of racing. So look, Formula E, if you're out there listening, because I know you do, because I know you're very protective about the quality of your series and what people say about it, listen to me and listen good. Can the fast charging. You don't need it. Your racing product is perfectly fine just the way it is. I promise you, let your regen do the talking. That's the sell. That's what will end up in Jaguar's road cars, and which you can get right now if you go into your Jaguar dealership. Don't go, don't go down the sprint road. Don't. You don't have to follow every other major fucking series at the moment. The problem yeah. around that is that the fast charging is something requested by the manufacturers. They're silly. Yeah. Don't listen they to are, them. They're silly, but the quote-unquote relevance, big air quotes on that one, is the whole reason why they're here, along with some casual greenwashing. So, yeah. We'll, More on that later. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, but yeah, like manufacturers of Formula E, don't go down the fast-charging road. You're not impressing anybody with that. Like, use your regen. That's 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 why you're here. That's 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 the good shit, and that's what makes good racing. Three hundred sixty-two overtakes. I don't care how you get them. That shit was still fire. Oh, it, it was fantastic. Great pair of races all weekend long. And speaking of shit that happened over the weekend, because we've got to talk about some oddities here. How about Apt Cupra one two to start that second race you know, <laughs> with Robin Frines on pole? You know, once upon a time. The apt Formula E team having a front row lockout wouldn't have seemed so far fetched, but uh, things changed. Things changed in a hurry. The team died after Audi pulled out of the sport. They were revived in their first race back as a full fledged team. They were slow, and Robin Friends had a wrist injury so bad that we thought he was going to miss the rest of the season. Fast forward to Cape Town, Kelvin Vander Linda is about to race in front of his home crowd, but the car is not safe to drive, and he and Nico Muller pulled out. And out of all of this, they have scored their first points in one day. <laughs> Five points, three for the pole position, and then ninth for Muller in race two got him two more. They're still the bottom of the Constructors' Championship for what it's worth. But they're on the board. They are on the board. And I think that for them means more than any constructor's place, given where they were at the start of the season. I distinctively remember in that season preview where Robin Frines was talking about just finishing races would be considered an achievement for this team when they started out of the year. And now they've got five points. Good for them. 
you I'm know, silently just like in my mind, just tell, just chanting Nico, hold, hold, you beautiful man. <laughs> hold it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and yeah, God, they locked up. I've never seen so many hugs given out in that garage. because I, And I love the fact they had Alan McNish on commentary for this weekend rather than Dario, who I think was in America. Um, they had Adam Minishti, former Audi sport team boss there. And he said, nah, we never had a one, two when we, when I was running that team <laughs> <laughs> with full Audi backing, no less with full Audi backing. They, they, they never locked out a front row in the, all their years. They were running the team in form. So how really. did, how did the, uh, how did the app Cooper cars get so good in the rain? Like, I know that these are not completely spec cars, but what's their secret to it? That's well, the first time we've really seen these cars run in the rain, and sometimes cars are just better when you add water. Yeah, and it, it becomes a lot more driver-dependent, and we all know Robin Frins can wheel a car. I mean, that that, that boy knows wheel. Um, and yeah, as Cam quite rightly said, we've not run the Gen 3 cars in the wet at all since its inception. This is the fir- It was the first wet run in anybody had done. Um in this generation of car. So you never knew what we were going to get. And yeah, that's what led to another topsy-turvy qualifying session. And yeah, both apps locking out the front row and Robin Frines on pole. Um, so, hey, if you want App Cooper to be competitive, just add water. Um, so that's fun. Um, so, and yeah, congratulations to them. That, that, that is a that is a hell of a result for them. And, um, you know, you could see how much it meant to the, to the guys in the back and how hard they've had to work. Um, and days like that make it all worthwhile. Maybe um, one of these days, Neo Triple Three will be able to capitalize on their raw one lap pace and convert that into a race result that's actually worth the darn. They've had a couple of decent ones. Yeah, in they've there. had some good results. I'm just thinking, like, oh, there's potential. I like never the, the, thought of you. I think both Sete Camera and Tictum have both hit the top six so far this year. So, you know, like Tictum, I know, definitely has. Yeah, um, they've had flashes, but. Um, yeah. It's not been dreadful for Neo this year. No, but. it's not been dreadful. I just like, keep thinking, like, there's more to be unlocked here. Yeah, Sonic Camera was like, fifth. In it. He, was, he was fifth in the Hydrobat. Yeah, I mean, like, as we said earlier, Tictum was leading the race that he ended up, you know, crashing out of with um, Van Dorn. They have had flashes of pace. It's just their energy consumption is uh, less than great in race trend, let's say. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so much better. Good for Mazza. They they got their first podium with Maxi Gunther, as RJ alluded to as well. Went 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 Gunther went plus sixteen in race two, going from twenty going from the back of the grid to sixth. I was plus fifty, I should say. Sorry, my maths is a bit out there. Um plus fifteen on race two. It was it was like we were watching this race in race two. And then about halfway through, though, I suddenly realized, wait, what the fuck is Max Gunther doing in sixth? <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> like, what the hell? Um, that was funny. Dan Tickton leading a race is always funny um, for ironic reasons more than anything else. And did you guys see the beef between Cassidy and Buemi? I actually, I heard about this, but I, I didn't actually pick up on what was actually said, but I heard it was strange. Yeah, like, I think it goes back a little bit to the Saturday race, race one, where you know how they've now done this driver's room bullshit after a race finishes, where yeah. you get like five of them in a room and they 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 play the highlights and they talk about it. Both envisions were in that room because Buemi had just been nabbed for a podium by Max Gunther over the line. Um and Cassidy looked at Buemi dead in the eye and said, 
What happened? I thought you had the win in the bag. <laughs> um, um, Webby was like, no. <laughs> he just he just shook his head and he just he, just, he basically said to Cassidy, don't talk to me. <laughs> he was pissed. Oh, um, and Sebastian Webby, of course, um, he is a spectacular driver, but he is also moody as all hell. I've actually got the transcript in front of <laughs> 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 What is he doing, man? Seriously, the guy since yesterday, he's been on drugs. The guy in front of me in the debrief will go, oh, yes, Stoffel, I would be P1, but I got traffic if my mom was a man, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? I would love to have seen what had gone on on that post-race Saturday debrief for Cassidy to come out with that on a hot mic during FP2. Like, what, what, what was that? Um... Just, I, I know their engineer had to, had to very quickly squash it, and I know their team boss, Felipe, was like, ah, oh, you know, they're just racing hard, they're competing for a championship. These things happen, you know, emotions blow over and all of that all of that jazz, and they had, they had to squash it. And to be fair, they seem to have gotten along a bit better about it, like, after Sunday's race. But it was very funny um watching them struggle like that and seeing seeing the beef between struggling with success it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny when he became a dad again this week and he was still grumpy as all hell <laughs> dre as a longtime sports car viewer anytime you go on board with the in this case the number eight toyota and you see the radio on and it's blammy you just need to prepare <laughs> <laughs> really isn't that bad it's been it's been an ongoing thing for about a decade he's just a grumpy boy <laughs> he's a grumpy boy he is he turns 35 years christ that makes me feel old he's 35 this year oh my yeah. god the passage of time is a is an absolute. I was literally writing. I was literally helping to write a video on WTF one ranking the Red Bull re. Like I, I use the term rejects loosely because it's a harsh term, but you know you, you got you got to get you got to you got to get those the non graduates, the non graduates, and like talking about Buemi and obviously the fact he's won Le Mans four times and all of that, and realizing holy shit, Sebastian Buemi is like in his mid thirties now, and I remember him in F one like it was yesterday, <gasps> like. Shit is wild. Time is a is time is a flat circle. Him um, and Lucas DeGrassi and Sam Bird have been here since the very beginning of this championship, which is going on ten years. Right, right. That's that's strange. It is it is wild. It's it's hard to think that next year will be the tenth anniversary of Formula E as a series. Next year will be the tenth anniversary of uh, Nico Pross and Dick Heidfeld having an airplane crash, so that Lucas DeGrassi, the day one believer in this championship, could go on to win in a square track in Beijing after a twenty-minute uh, formation lap. What a time to be alive! Uh, speaking of t- weird times to be alive, um, we had a climate change protest group. Germany's last generation. This was not uh, just Stop Oil, but this is a German group. Uh, Members of them, that group, climbed up the fence, got on the track. One of them glued themselves to the medical car before the start of race two. They were then escorted off the premises. And then after some cleanup, we started the race. Um, Dre, you've got thoughts about this. Yeah, because uh, like people were in my mentions about this, 
a lot because everybody just assumed it was another just stop oil protest. Like they've gotten quite famous in the UK for for these sorts of protests. They literally, as we joked about it, hit the World Snooker Championship last week by pouring some powder over a table before being removed by security. A table that was at the end of its life cycle anyway. Yeah, it was getting recloughed the same night. So yeah, well, well, well done, fellas. Um, well, well played. Um, but a lot of people got in my mentions on both sides of the aisle on this one. And look, I, I said it on Twitter at the time, and I stand by it. It's very much like the famous Chris Rock killed the messenger speech in his stand-up routine from years ago where he he talks about O.J. Simpson and he goes, I'm not saying he should have killed her, but I understand. Um, And this is no way a a justification of what O.J. Simpson did. Of course not. We're going to get some emails. Oh, oh yeah. No no, no question. But I, I understand why this happened. I get it. I genuinely do, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to accept that because look, motorsport is dangerous enough as it is. Of course, it is. We all know that. I said it on our on our written piece on the website. Most of us have probably witnessed at least one life fatality in our lives, unfortunately, in the series that we watch. Me, it's several. And I know, I know that's not just that's not just me in this room, as we record this. Anything that risks other people's lives and other people's trauma needs to be very much weighed up. And I completely get that argument that you should, you know, running onto a live track is extremely dangerous. Of course, it is. You don't, you don't need me to tell you. You don't, you don't, you don't need to tell me that. Like that's completely understanding a completely valid take. However, I do have a degree of empathy for these protesters. And the reason I say this is, and and I've never been that upset by most of Just Stop Oil's protests either, for what it's worth. There's some controversy with them because they were funded by an oil baroness. You know, there's some jokes about that. Almost like a... a double you know, bluff. The, the perspective of they are they are formed as a psyop to make genuine cl- activists for climate justice look terrible. Yeah, it's it's like a double bluff in a sense, where it's like get people angry, turn them off the cause. It's 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 very sus. And I, I know there's many genuine climate activists out there that would never even consider something like this, and that's part of the problem here. Climate change is one of like the most generational issues we as a, we as a human race are going to go through over the next 50 years. We are already at the point of no return when it comes to climate change. We are now talking about permanent damage to the way we live over the next 50 to 100 years. Um, our, our children are, are going to have to deal with a problem they might not be able to fix. And Formula E is just as guilty as many other motorsport series about greenwashing and they they claim they're net zero they're not really like come on like you know like they still ship a bunch of their gear they're still manufacturing parts that aren't carbon zero we we, like okay maybe the series itself is but the the other avenues on the way in most certainly are not um multiple manufacturers joining fe Basically to uh, cover up the fact that they were caught in emission scandals. Yeah. <laughs> and not not just the obvious one, of course. Of course. You know, this 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 is, you know, an industry-wide issue. And 
Yeah, like formidary can and I know people like the Costa were coming out saying, Oh, this is like the worst series you could have done this with. And I'm like, well, maybe on the face of it, but Formulary is not absolved of accountability in any of this, right? Is there any good series that you could do this to? No, I mean, no. there's there's less bad series that you could you could do this for. But we did that when when the Extinction Rebellion hit up Silverstone, and we hated when they did that too. And if anything, it could have been an even bigger disaster if it wasn't for the fact that Zhou Guanyu ended up upside down and in a catch fence. Um, look, the point I'm getting at here is is that. A lot of people will say, oh, the anger and the upset that it causes will put people off the course. Again, there's some there's some validity to that, and I'm, and I'm not going to dis- dispute that. However, if you're a climate activist right now, how are you meant to do this? Like, how are you meant to make a point? How are you meant to send a message and make an impact without, major, without causing some sort of major disruption? Because I am all ears. If they're, if they're, if, like, the whole point of a protest is to be disruptive. Right. That, that and, It is by nature. Otherwise, it's not an effective protest. And, and if human nature has taught us, and human history has taught us anything over the last 200 years, it's that the most effective protests are the ones that cause the most disruption. No, no, no one has caused great change uh, by being quiet. And look, that. You, the people that are saying this is not the way to do it, Sure, there's some genuine claims to that. What's the alternative? Because for all the people that were in my mentions on Twitter telling me that this is unacceptable, and yeah, I can see why you, I can see why you feel that way. The one question I've always asked in response, and I've never gotten a valid answer in response to this back, is, well, what do you do instead? Because these guys have targeted politicians thrown cream pies in their faces, thrown animal fur or like or thrown like blood on them for things like animal protests. What, what in the constitutes past. a quote unquote acceptable protest? Right. One that is one of this comfortable and placating. And we just went through like a whole whole row of that three years ago in the United States and elsewhere in the world. Like still, I think still ongoing, let's be honest. I think if you were things. to reframe if you were to reframe this as like, you know, they're here to protest the inv- the fact that this electric racing championship round is sponsored by a petrochemical company <laughs> from Saudi Arabia. I, I, I am I'm well aware that there are lubricants inside of these cars still, but come on. It's oh, it's a subsidiary of a, it's a subsidiary of a Ramco. Yeah, it's greenwashing. Call it what it is. So yeah, they have every right to go protest. And like I said, like I've said to people for years, people have targeted politicians. It has not worked. People have tried conventional peaceful protests, making big visual statements, right? And no one cares. Society in general does not give a shit about climate change. They just force their head further in the sand. Right. So what are these guys meant to do? Like, what's the alternative? Like, how how do you get people behind the cause without potentially pissing people off? Because, like I said, and I know many climate activists have said the same thing themselves. Like, if, (laughs) if, if there's a better idea, I'd love to hear it. Because I don't hear any suggestions being filled out in the box. And as RJ quite rightly alluded to, 
like, you're talking to the black guy here. Many, many people with the same skin color as me were more than prepared to pay the ultimate price for what they believed in. So at what point do you go, let bygones be bygones? At what point do you, at what point do you say, fuck it, let them go? Like, because honestly, like saying that invading a motorsport track is too far. Yeah, like I said, I get that argument. But if it, if this isn't the way to do it, then what is? Anyone? I don't have that answer. I don't, I don't have it either. And uh, and we're in a we're in a spot where like there is a there's a lot of stuff that is worth going out there and causing mass disruption over great injustice in the world. I mean it's easy for us to say, you know, we're we're in positions where we we can't really go out there and sacrifice our lives and our livelihood to do it. But other people can. Other people will are prepared to do that. It's just something we got to deal with. There's there's no getting around it, and this is not going to stop. And if anything, it's going to only further embolden them to do this again. And you know what? I accept that. And yeah, there'll be there'll be some risk. Hopefully, there'll be no true tragedies as, a, as a, that come as a direct result of this. But as as many climate activists have also pointed out compared to the millions of lives we may lose through climate change directly and indirectly over the next generation or two you know maybe it's worth it and that's why i don't think there's an easy answer to it. just saying oh well look at these guys you know they, they've thrown some powder on my snooker table or you know, they caused three minutes of disruption to a Formula E race because they were always, the security was always going to solve it and get get it over with and get it done with in the end. I mean, I mean, Scott Elkins as race director isn't an idiot. He knows what he's doing, right? So, you know, it's I just find it annoying that people are so quick to dismiss what's going on when we are talking about one of the generational issues of our times and a series that is nowhere near as innocent as people like to think that it is in all of this it's a series that is every bit as complicit as many of the others we often dogpile for other societal issues that we talk about with this series is that fair to say no that's that's entirely fair and right? mm-hmm. somehow i hear birds chirping in the background i think <laughs> that is a wonderful note to end it on i agree formula re is back in a week and a half's time at monaco Oh, yes. The best Monaco Grand Prix. The real Monaco Grand Prix. The former Formula E race of the year on the, on the on Motorsport 101's awards uh, from a couple of years back. Uh, Monaco, we know, can produce quality racing. It has, and there's a good chance it will again. I'm really looking forward to that. Also, stay tuned. we got three more episodes coming for you next week because it's a busy weekend. we got Formula One in Baku with the new revamped sprint. Don't all, don't, don't all look so excited at once. I mean, yay. we got we got two qualifying sessions now. Woohoo! What's better than one qualifying session? Two of them. But at least we could definitively answer who won the pole position for the Grand Prix. Let's go. Um, so that'll be fun. Um, so look forward to that. 
Um, yeah, we've got MotoGP at her ref this weekend. Breaking news of, as of today, no Mark Marquez for 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 oh. that for that Spanish Grand Prix. Uh, his thumb still hasn't fully recovered yet. Um, so he'll he's aiming to be back for Le Mans in two weeks' time. That's a bit of a bummer, but uh, yeah, continue best wishes to Mark. But it looks like Anaya Bastianini will be back this weekend for Ducati. So look forward to seeing and him. How about Iker Laquona getting another chance in MotoGP? Much deserved. He, he he got he got a raw fucking deal when he was at KTM, and um, I'm delighted he'll be back. A young rider getting the raw deal at KTM. No, I never, never would have thought. Never happens. Never happens. Um, but uh, yeah, that'll be coming up at Haref, and we got IndyCar this weekend for the Grand Prix of Barber. One of the better IndyCar rounds on the calendar. Looking forward to that one as well. So Consistently underrated. It's a shame that the people who run the state that it's in are the way that they are. I'm a former resident, and I can say this. Yes, couldn't agree more. But I'm, yeah. I'm not a former resident, and I'm still going to say it. Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Fuck that. Um, but... Should produce some great racing. So we'll have all of that next week on Motorsport 101 to look forward to. Um, but we'll call it a wrap on this one. I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Cam Buckley. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Later, y'all. I just, I just don't want to see a Porsche in the wall of turn one in Monaco again. You just got tictumed. Oh.